Well, imagine walking into church only to find out that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has written you a letter. You! Like, actually, individually, you. And to make matters worse, the entire church around you expects for it to be read out loud. How you feeling? Anybody need to run to the bathroom real quick? Too late, maybe? It's a little bit unnerving, isn't it? Your name is Philemon. You live in the, the city of Colossae. It's about 60 AD. So maybe about 30 years or so after the resurrection uh, of Jesus. You've only, you've only been a Christian for a hand, handful of years. Uh, you probably first heard the gospel when the Apostle Paul was preaching at the neighboring town of Ephesus. And, and you heard the good news and you embraced Jesus. You gave your life to him. And, and you were so excited about this news that you, you couldn't help but tell anyone and everyone back in your hometown about Jesus. In fact, so much so that before you knew it, they were all cramming into your house Sunday after Sunday to worship Jesus together. Philemon, you helped plant this church. And what a joy seeing the people cram in to your house week after week. It's a house church, which also, also means, Philemon, you've got money, right? You've got a big enough house to be able to, to host that many people for church. Now, you're also a slave owner. Still with me? Now, let's, let's put this in its, its cultural context. Because while, while it is certainly related to our own history with slavery, it's not the same sort of chattel, race-based lifelong slavery in our own history and past. You see, slavery in the ancient world existed in just about every culture, and it could, it could affect really anyone. It was not based on, on race or ethnicity. It could often even be voluntary and temporary. It was typically caused by debt or by war. It, it was such, econo such common economic pra practice in the Roman Empire uh, that some would estimate that in the city of Rome, 90% of the people who lived there were in some form of indentured servitude. It's just the way the world worked. This is why many, many translations of this word in scripture refer to bondservant because it's not, it's not quite a slave like we know of it in our own historical context and it's not quite a servant. It's often translated as bondservant. Now, we'll see in a moment that this doesn't justify it, but to understand this letter, you have to understand Philemon's world. And so, Philemon, I'm talking to you again, deep breath, chances are you've never even thought to question this. This is just the way your world worked. Your slave's name was Onesimus. 
And most likely what happened at some, some point in Onesimus' life or his family, uh, they accrued so much debt that he couldn't pay it off. And in a world without bankruptcy, he had no choice but to pay off that debt. And so most likely he sold himself into servitude for a number of years to be able to pay off that debt. And so you had a deal with Onesimus. You told, you told him, I will go ahead and pay off your debt. You're going to work for me now for X number of years until that debt is paid. But he left. He just left. And you'd already outlaid all of this cash, and so you've just had this enormous economic loss. And you were counting on him to get some work done on your property. Months later, and it still stings. And then one Sunday, you're welcoming people into your home once again for church. The coffee is hot. The donut holes are fresh. Like you're, you're excited, you're ready. And then, then all of a sudden, walking in, you see Tychicus. He's a friend of yours. You haven't, you haven't seen him in a while. Uh, he was visiting the Apostle Paul uh, in prison, most likely in Rome. So it's a long journey. You haven't seen him in months. And so you, you embrace him. You're excited to see him. And he hands you a letter. It's a letter to the churches, all of the house churches in the area of Colossae. We know it by the name Colossians. And so you're like, okay, all right. I mean, church is going to be good today, right? A, a new letter from the Apostle Paul. And then behind Tychicus, you see him. What is he doing here? I mean, the nerve of this guy, right? I mean, what, what are you thinking? Are you shocked? Are you, are you furious? Like, what, what is going on in your emotions as you see your former slave standing there? And then slowly he walks up to you and he hands you another letter. And this one has your name on it. Also from the Apostle Paul. And you look around and everyone in your church is looking at you. They all know. They, they know Onesimus. They know the situation. They're staring at you. And they all want to know what's inside. So let's, let's do it, right? Uh, so please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read the entire letter here. Don't worry, it's not very long. But you'll feel like you accomplished something today. An entire book of the Bible right here. But as, as you hear these words, listen to them as if you are Philemon. They're written to you with this lingering question of what are you going to do in response? Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Acropis, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. 
because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. And yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. How you feeling now, Philemon? Need another bathroom break? Well, let's walk through this letter more closely. I want to slow down and kind of go through it again, but you're kind of drawing out some of the things that Paul is doing in the undercurrent here. So Paul, he begins, you can follow along in your, in your Bibles or on the, the Bible app, we'll have some of the, the scripture up here, but Paul, Paul begins by declaring himself a prisoner for Christ. And this, this is unique because this is the only letter that Paul begins that way, even though he wrote often from prison. And it's almost like he begins by telling Philemon, Onesimus isn't the only one who's deemed a criminal by our corrupt society. It's like he's just sort of saying, like setting the ground here, before you get too mad at Onesimus... Paul says, I'm also a prisoner. I'm a lawbreaker. And Philemon, I love you. Like, you can't miss that. Like, my, my fellow worker and, and Apphia, that's probably Mrs. Philemon. Acropus might be their, their son, we're not really sure, and, and their church. Let me start with grace, is where Paul begins. I pray for you all the time. I can't stop thanking God for you. The love that you have for Jesus and his people, I hear about it all the way back in prison. And I pray that as you continue to share your faith, it would bear much fruit. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Okay, now at this point, if you're Philemon, you're thinking, okay, all right. It's pretty good so far. But Philemon... 
I need a favor. I, I could command you if I wanted to. I'm, I'm older, I'm an apostle for crying out loud, which means I've actually met Jesus face to face, and I'm in prison for him. I could command you, but we love each other, right? So I prefer to think of it more, of, more like a favor. Philemon, it has to do with Onesimus. He's like my child now. I am like his father. He came looking for me in prison. He told me about a situation, and I told him about Jesus. And Onesimus gave his life to Jesus. Philemon, isn't that great? He's a Christian now. Now, how, how are you processing that? It's got to be a lot of questions in your mind, even as you hear that news, right? I mean, I mean, does it make you a little uncomfortable? Like, okay, this is going to complicate things. Or it's hard to know exactly because, you know, slaves and masters were, were commonly together in the, the first century church. And so certainly even in Philemon's own home, right, there had to be, they had to be gathered there together in worship. They were never sort of segregated or excluded from the community. And yet if you're Philemon, like you still, you have to sort of ask yourself, I mean, okay, you are so passionate about sharing Jesus with everyone. Like, why is it that for Onesimus to meet Jesus, he had to go to the Apostle Paul? I mean, it's just caused scholars to sort of, sort of wonder here. Like, it's made them think, is that, is that actually why Onesimus left? Was he actually, was he running from slavery or was he trying to run to Paul? for help. Because surely he'd heard of, of Jesus and he'd heard about Paul living in Philemon's house, right, serving there in that, that church context. Like he, he, he knew about it. And so people wonder, like, is that why he went? Did he go to try to sort of plead his case before Paul? We don't, we don't really know. What we do know is that it was God who parted them which is such interesting language in verse 15, how Paul says this, right? It's not the, it's not the normal way you would, you would say it. Look, at, look again, verse 15, it says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, to, be, to become a Christian. And, and it's sort of like in the, in the grammar there, it's almost like Paul saying, he didn't, he didn't run away from you, Paul or Philemon. He was parted from you. Like God did this. God is the one who, who separated you for a time so that he would meet Jesus. God wanted Onesimus to become a Christian. And for some reason, Philemon, God had to work around you to get it done. But here he is, Philemon. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart I could have kept him, and he would have stayed as my willing servant, serving you on my behalf. That would have been okay, right? But I didn't want to do it without your permission. So here he is, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother. Philemon, Onesimus is your brother now. And if we're friends at all, Philemon... You will receive him back as if it were me. And if he's, if he's wronged you, or if he owes you anything at all, put it on my tab. I will repay every penny, which is exactly what Jesus does on our behalf, right? He's just, he's, Paul is modeling the gospel here. Our sins are charged to Jesus' account. So Paul's just saying, I'll do the same. 
for Onesimus, Philemon. Just keep in mind, Philemon, that you already owe me everything because I'm the one who brought Jesus to you. But hey, you know what? If I still owe you something after this, I will repay you. Let me know. Well, Philemon, my brother, let me wrap it up. I'm sure you'll obey me, doing even more than I ask. And I'll see you soon. Go ahead and prepare your guest room for me. This is Paul's not-so-subtle way of saying, I'm going to check up on this. And then he ends the letter with everyone who's with him who says hi, which is Paul's not-so-subtle way of saying, Philemon, we've talked about this, okay? We all know what you need to do, so just do it. And then Paul ends the same way that he started, with grace. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And if you're Philemon, right, you're just, you're just so glad that it's over, right? But it's not over because everybody is looking at you. And Onesimus is there looking at you. Philemon, what are you going to do? Well, what, what exactly is Paul asking? Well, to put it simply, he's asking, he's asking Philemon to do the unthinkable. I mean, something that he would not have even imagined apart from, from Jesus. Like, there's, there's, just, there's no way. I mean, Onesimus, your, your slave or bondservant, ran away, essentially stealing from you. Anybody in that culture would have punished him as a criminal or at least returned him to his servitude. And the whole Roman economy was built on this system. But Paul says, welcome him back, no longer as a bondservant, but more than that, as a beloved brother. And you and I both know you can't enslave your brother, right? Now, now what's interesting here is Paul doesn't exactly tell him to set him free. Did you notice that, right? I mean, he, he implies it like a dozen different ways. I mean, even telling Philemon to do more than he's asking. Why doesn't Paul just say it? I mean, to some of us, maybe you read this, and this is the most passive-aggressive letter ever written. Like, just say it, Paul. But here's why he doesn't. A lot of scholars write about this, that, that in an honor-shame culture like Paul's, he's giving Philemon the chance to do the right thing. He could have commanded him. He had every right to. He's an apostle for crying out loud. But if Paul outright commands him, the shame would have been so great that it's quite possible he would have been like forced to leave the church, like kicked out of his community. Like if Paul had to tell you to do something, like it would have been, it would have been too much to bear. And so he wants Philemon to do the right thing. That's absolutely clear. But he also wants Philemon to be able to save face a little bit to do the right thing on his own, to be able to stay in the church community. This is grace, isn't it? Dr. Esau McCulley is an evangelical scholar at Wheaton. His excellent book, Reading While Black, he discusses how he reads this letter, both as a New Testament scholar, but also as a black man. And so he reads this, seeing things that I tend to miss. Listen to what he writes. He says, Paul uses familial language, calling Philemon his brother. And the point is clear. Oneness in Christ transforms relationships. Society values those with power and status. Christians treat all people 
slave, free, or prisoner as family. This idea that slaves and masters are family undermines slavery. Who would enslave a brother or sister? Onesimus broke the law, and it cost you. But Paul doesn't appeal to Roman law. He doesn't appeal to secular thinking, to to what's permissible or political, uh, to what his culture would consider right or wrong, just or unjust. He's not concerned about the economic implications or worried about being mistaken for a Democrat or a Republican. Paul appeals to grace. Koinonia, fellowship, love. He he appeals to the kingdom of Jesus that is breaking in and the, the mission of the church proclaiming the good news. Paul's letter begins with grace and it ends with grace. And so Philemon, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? We don't, we don't actually know what Philemon did. We have some hints, and we'll talk about those in a moment, but we don't really know. What we do know is what this letter makes clear, that grace turns the world upside down. If you take just one thing from this letter, I hope it's this today, grace turns the world upside down. That's, that's literally what the, the, Paul and the early church were, were accused of. This is, this is why they were thrown into prison and, and murdered. It wasn't just sort of harmless talking about Jesus. Look, at, look what it says in Acts. It says, and when they could not find them, meaning the apostles, they dragged Jason, and poor Jason, and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. For that is what grace does. How? First, grace changes you. Grace changes you. All three characters in this incredible story have so clearly been transformed by grace. I mean, first of all, the the Paul, right? It changed Paul. You see that in the way Paul clearly but gently writes. Like he's he's pursuing Onesimus' freedom. You can't miss that but he's also upholding Philemon's dignity to do the right thing. Like he he believes the best about Philemon, but he also gives him a chance to do the right thing while at the same time pushing for justice, right? The reality is like, we we don't do that today, do we? If we even suspect someone of injustice, or being asleep to it, or a little bit less passionate about it than we are, who, or even wants to ask questions about it, or feels offended by some of, the, some of the harsh ways in which we talk about it, or who also really wants justice but sees the path to get there a little bit differently, we don't do what Paul did. We label them and we write them off, even in the church. Listen, you can be passionate about justice without destroying the people around you who also want justice but see things differently than you do. Paul creates space in the church for both. Philemon and Onesimus. Because that's what grace does. Onesimus was also 
clearly changed by grace. I mean, the fact that he actually came back, I mean, think about that. He, he was gone. He was free. He didn't have to come back. But he wanted to make it right. Only grace can do that. And then, and then of course, Philemon, right? Like I said, we don't, we don't know for sure how he responded, but the common assumption is the fact that we actually have this letter shows that he responded to it. He didn't just like throw it into the fireplace, right? Like why, why else would you save a letter if it didn't work? So it's, it's reasonable to assume that Philemon did welcome him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. And as, assuming that he did, like just think about, I mean, you think about lots of different things that that would have impacted for Philemon, but just think about the economic implications for him. What else can make you take that kind of financial hit if not grace? I mean, follow the money trail and it leads right to our hearts, doesn't it? And if we think for a moment that we can follow Jesus without it costing us financially, significantly, then I'm not sure we've encountered grace. But Philemon was willing. So all, all three characters here are, are changed by grace, but sometimes, sometimes I think we, we stop there, right? As if that's all that Jesus is good for, personal grace and personal salvation. But if we stop there, we miss this letter. Because grace also changes every relationship. Grace changes every relationship. It wasn't that Onesimus could be okay now by himself, right? And that Philemon could be okay over here, right, by himself. Paul brings them back together. There was a need for them to reconcile. Their relationship changed from slave master and victim victimizer to brother. And that brotherhood goes both ways. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it was easy or that it'll be easy in any of our relationships with the family metaphor. is the dominant metaphor for the people of God. Which, if you think about the implications of that, that means that I have more in common with a Christian in Indonesia than I do with someone in my own family who doesn't follow Jesus. But that I have, I have more in common with someone who sees the world completely differently than I do than someone who agrees with me on every single thing but Jesus. Think about that. That's what grace does. And if there are relationships in your life, your marriage, a colleague, a family member, someone in church, if there are relationships in your life that are not seen first through the lens of grace, you're missing it. We actually have an, another letter. It's not, it's not in the Bible. It was written probably about 50 years later, but it mentions Onesimus. And while we're not entirely sure, there's a lot of assumptions that maybe, maybe it's the same Onesimus. Listen to what this letter says. says Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love, and your bishop, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love and that you would all seek to be like him. Again, it's believed that this is the same Onesimus. Again, we're not, we're not entirely sure, but just imagine, like, think about if, if it's this Onesimus, this former slave who ends up becoming a bishop in the church. I mean, essentially becoming Philemon's pastor, his spiritual leader and overseer. And we, we don't know if it's the same person or not, but what we do know is this is what grace does. Grace changes every relationship. 
It changes you, it changes your relationships, and eventually, eventually, it turns the whole world upside down. That's the last thing. Grace turns the world upside down. Don't, don't stop with you. Don't stop with the people near you. Grace changes the world. It changes everything. Because when Jesus comes, he brings with him a kingdom. I mean, even if you just stop and think about it for a moment, just historically, like it, it was the book of Philemon and the New Testament that eventually abolished slavery. Now, that's, that's, not, to, that's not to minimize the, the ways in which the Bible has been misused over the centuries or the ways in which Christians in the church have at times been complicit in these things. It's not minimizing any of that. But it was the New Testament that abolished slavery. I mean, sadly, slavery has existed everywhere by nearly every people group ever since sin entered the world. And it is evil, but Christians were the first abolitionists. And the cultures that have been most impacted by Christianity today are the ones who are most active in fighting against slavery today. I don't, I don't know if, if Paul ever could have seen this coming, but this letter right here is the start of it. Because grace turns the world upside down. You see, Christians have always been passionate about justice. Always. But I'm just going to be honest here for a moment. I'm, I'm afraid as I think about the church of the future. Because more and more in our polarized and politicized society, we're forming into two very distinct groups, even within the church. We, we, have, we have some who, often with, with good intentions, have been swept up by a secular view of justice, which can sound good and look appealing, but only leads to more injustice. A secular definition of justice. But then, then on the other side, we, we have some of us who are so afraid of the secular definition of justice, we've left the conversation entirely. Like, we, we, we can't even, if, if we hear the phrase justice, or biblical justice, we assume that it's appealing to this, this other secular definition. The church, like, we cannot give in to either extreme, but let us hold to biblical justice that tears down walls, that, that sets people free, that is compassionate towards the hurting, that can reconcile and do it with grace toward everyone. Because that's what grace does. Grace turns the world upside down. And like Philemon with his cultural blindness, like Onesimus with his literal chains, grace can set you free. Change Philemon. It changed Onesimus. It changed this little household church 2,000 years ago. It changed Rome. It, it, it changed us. It upended slavery, one of the most ancient and oppressive institutions the world has, has ever known. It changed you and it changed me. And it continues to confront and challenge a world of evil today. Not with violence, hatred, or coercion, but with grace. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus, another criminal, right? A man deemed a criminal by the Roman Empire. So you've got, you have Jesus, you've got Paul, you've got Onesimus. But rather than allowing us to suffer in our sins, rather than allowing us to remain in our oppression, Jesus on the cross said, charge it to my account. Every evil thing you've done, every evil that you've ignored, every evil that you've received on behalf of others, charge it to my account. And that grace, only that, dear church, can turn the world upside down.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for this little letter. It seems on the one hand so strange that it made, it made its way into our Bibles, this very personal and very intimate letter to this individual. Yet I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for the ways in which it shows us the power of grace to break chains, to set both the victims and the victimizers free and to reconcile us into your family, into your community. God, we live in complex times and I pray that we would not be so swayed by the polarization of everything, by the either or mentality that is so pervasive in our world that we would see instead and cry out for biblical justice knowing that you have also set us free. We ask this for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.